Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring Up the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT, hey, JT, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Luke. It's a good day. Good week to be a Kansas State football fan. Absolutely. And our guest this week with Bowling Green coming up, we've got Toledo Blade sports columnist Dave Briggs. Dave, how are you? Not bad. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. And just a little history. Dave and I used to kind of work in the same circles, and we were both in, in Columbia, Missouri. Back in the days when Mizzou football didn't do things like lose at Wyoming, right, Dave? <laughs> yeah, wow, that was uh, that was something. But uh, yeah, I guess you can't, can't go to a bowl game. Might as well go down spectacularly. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But yeah, opening week, you know, we saw a team with a new coach, uh, pretty dominant performance against an overmatched FCS team, an impressive performance from the, the experienced senior QB. Of course, I'm talking about Bowling Green's big 46-3 win over Morgan State. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, what were the takeaways from that game? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's given where the program was, and they have, uh, they did lose to an FCS team under the under their former coach Mike Jinks. It was just a just kind of a return to, you know, respectability, stability. And that's kind of what they're hoping for with this new staff, Scott Leffler, former Michigan quarterback, former, um, you know, Virginia Tech coordinator, offensive coordinator, Boston College, Auburn, kind of a Twitter celebrity for the wrong reasons when you think of a a Scott Leffler offense in the last few years. But, um, you know, he's just, I think what we saw was just kind of what you would expect. He brought a very veteran staff. He, you know, after one of the most inexperienced staffs in the country and just kind of, I don't know, I, I just keep coming back to, you know, they, they don't have the talent. They're not going to have the talent to compete with Kansas State, but they're also not going to be losing to bad FCS teams either. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. And I think, JT, you looked up just how bad Morgan State is, right? Yeah, I, um, I pulled up the Sagarin ratings, which you know aren't, aren't perfect necessarily, but uh, Morgan State was 250 out of 256. That Sagarin ranks all uh, all Division One schools, both FBS and FCS. So they're the what seventh worst team in the country. <laughs> That's pretty rough. Yeah, and by comparison, Nichols was what 140 something. 141, I think. Yeah. Pull that back up. Okay. I always kind of get a kick out of like you know like Minnesota's talking about oh well they're one of the you know the best FCS teams in the country or if you're playing North Dakota State and I understand that you know that's legit but if you're a a Big Ten or a SEC or an ACC contender you shouldn't be pointing out oh well man they're one of the I mean FCS is FCS at the end of the day so yeah well so as a team with a former NDSU head coach I think we have to. Be careful what we say here. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I think in general. I would argue North Dakota State has kind of been on a different level in at least some of those years. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they're to be fair, they're the highest ranked team. They're uh, 42nd coming in right behind Baylor, slotted right between Baylor and South Carolina. So, I mean, that yeah. And then the next team is in the 68th is South Dakota State. So there's quite a bit of a drop off. It's definitely next level. Yeah. There you go. So let, let's talk about Bowling Green a little bit. You know, I actually went back and watched a little bit of it on uh, ESPN3 or whatever they're calling it now. And, you know, QB Darius Wade played pretty well. But uh, they, they mentioned Andrew Clare as, as a lead back. And, and a lot of running backs, that's really going to be the focal point and the strength of this offense. You expect to see a lot of that on Saturday? 
Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, injured players, they're certainly their best offensive player, their junior running back, you know, an all-MAC level player. You know, Darius Wade, kind of a, a six-year guy who was, who was working, a, you know, kind of just a retail job only a few months ago until, uh, you know, kind of pulled off the pulled back into it for a final year. That's how desperate the quarterback situation was at Bowling Green. They expected to have Jared Dagey, the, the younger brother of a former Texas Tech quarterback, Seth Dagey back this year. He was one of the top quarterbacks in the MAC, but he, he transferred after the spring to West Virginia, I believe. And so that was a big loss. Then Scott Leffler got one of his former guys from Boston College, and his eligibility is still up in the air. So kind of, uh, you know, dire straits, but you know, Darius Wade kind of, uh, you know, I guess he's a, he's a body and he, he looked solid against Morgan State. Obviously, it'll be a pretty big step up in competition on Saturday, but he's their one and only option at this point. <laughs> yeah, he looked, like, he looked all right. He's a lefty. He looked like he could, he could run a little bit. I mean, Morgan State tacklers, yeah, obviously weren't the best, but you know, he, he can move. Uh, he struggled a little bit with his accuracy, it looked like, especially in the first half, but one of the things that's interesting to me is, is they, uh, I mean, it's not quite, you know, Babbers fast, but, you know, they run pretty fast, that offense. You know, do you think they'll slow it down at all against a team like Kansas State? Yeah, I wish I uh, I wish I knew uh, <laughs> to that level of plan with, with, yeah. uh, with Bowling Green. It's probably, given given where they are in the state of their rebuild, that honestly is probably the team I've paid the least attention to out of our four teams here with, with Ohio State, Michigan, Toledo, and BG. But, um, no, I, I certainly do know they they do want to speed it up this year, but I wouldn't be able to tell you what their strategy is going into the state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, JT, you know, assuming they do try to, to hurry up a little bit, you think that'll be kind of a good test for case they obviously we see some teams like that in the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, that's it's one of those, like, you want to schedule your non-conference to get you teams that maybe show some things that you might see. And so – yeah, a hurry-up offense would definitely be something that would help these guys at least. You know, even if the talent level is not the same, they're at least seeing that look from somebody that's not their own scout team that maybe runs it a little bit more often. Or and so yeah, it's it's always good to get those those kind of looks early in the season. Yeah, and, and we saw Saturday, Cook was definitely not afraid to, to rotate guys in and out. I'm sure we'll see that again. It's good to hear. I think Cody Fletcher and Jonathan Durham are, are both supposed to be back. I expect those guys to add something defensively. Yeah, and um, you know, if I had to guess, Fletcher would probably be out another week. Okay. Um, the way Kleiman was talking about him, like he won't be back at practice until like the end of this week. So it'll probably be, you know, they they might you know try to get him in real late if if it scores really lopsided. But I bet he he'll sit until uh, Mississippi State or even even after, depending on what the needs are. But yeah, Durham should be back. I know he got hurt a little early in the game. But that's something, you know, I was I was mentioning on the comment board the other day, earlier today, you know, at least on paper, this might be the best game, you know, if you've got those injuries to just let those guys rest. And, yeah. you know, you wish a game like this comes, you know, like the SEC does, <laughs> you know, midway through the season where they're, they're loading, that's when they load up on their cupcakes. And, yeah. You know, I know I, I saw a stat, I think it was from Reddit, and it was it was like Big 12 played seven FCS schools this last weekend and and how the SEC played all Power 5 teams. And like, yeah, but you wait until, you know, yeah, week week, yeah. whatever, 10, 11, and they're, all 14 teams are playing FCS schools. So 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I saw a stat too that Kansas State, I think, led the nation in time of possession for this past week, which is kind of interesting. And I guess it was because they weren't necessarily explosive. They just kind of ground down on offense and, and had just a ton of first downs and obviously didn't give up very many first downs. So I would imagine we might see something similar this week. And, and you know, with Bowling Green, I know they were, they were talking a lot about how young they are. And Dave, you talked about, you know, building up the program. Is this another team that, that K-State could probably just kind of manhandle on the offensive line and then expect that to get worse as the game goes along? Yeah, I, I would expect so. I mean, this is the numbers are pretty alarming to the point where, you know, they still have 10 unfilled scholarships. To give you kind of a picture of just what a, a mess this was the last few years, you know, Mike Jinks, who was here the previous three years and came here with just a little bit of the backstory, very, very questionable hire, yeah. Um, was a very successful Texas high school coach, great guy, good coach, good recruiter, but just was in over his head when he was hired at Bowling Green. He had spent three years as a running backs coach at Texas Tech. When he was hired by Bowling Green, their AD at the time, kind of, he pretty much told me that he went on Google, well, not Google, but on CFD stats, and (laughs) just looked to see who was the best offensive team in the country. He saw it with Texas Tech, and he basically said, who's the top assistant on that staff that we can afford? And Mike Jinks was Cliff Kingsbury's associate head coach and running backs coach, and he was probably floored by the opportunity to, you know, lead his own program only a few years into college. And uh, so they gave it to him. He had never even been to Ohio, never even been to this part of the country, came over here, didn't really have many college connections, so he hired a staff that had seven first-time college assistants. None of them had Ohio ties either. It was just kind of a just a very bad cultural fit, very bad fit in terms of experience and in over his head. A guy like that kind of needed a sounding board or veteran guys to kind of kind of help show him the way and maybe the, the geographic I don't know, kind of show the ropes of, of how to recruit in the Midwest and maybe how to run a program. And they had none of that. And, you know, it, it kind of took a program that was pretty solid under Dave Clawson, who's now at Wake Forest, and Dino Babers, who is now at Syracuse. They'd won two of the last three MAC titles and yeah. uh, pretty much ran it into the ground and, and just get into the numbers. They did have some decent recruiting classes, but they kind of became a mirage if you – from the last three recruiting classes, I believe I did the math. I think they only have 30 of those guys left, which is the size of, you know, one recruiting class for some schools. So I think um, when you when you look at 30 guys left from the last three recruiting classes, you know, Scott Leffler was playing catch up with this recruiting class. They have a bunch of unfilled scholarships. This is a pretty long-term rebuild. I picked them to win three games, and that was before their star quarterback transferred. So this is – this is a team that can kind of be coached on, you know, hustle and discipline and effort and just kind of building the culture. But to make a, a long answer short, I mean, they are a long ways away, and I would expect this to be an easy win for K-State. Yeah, and just real quick, you were talking about Mike James. A lot of that I recognize from the column you wrote for the Toledo Blade. It's worth checking out. But I think my favorite part of that was when you said, uh, conservatively speaking, it was the dumbest coaching search in college football history. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was something. I uh, 
I just couldn't believe that. Uh, I I, I kind of I believe the what caught on was like that, you know Chris Kingston had Googled him, and I don't know if that was yeah. if people took it at face value that he actually Googled what was the best offense. He actually kind of went too straight to the stats, which is just as ridiculous in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he watched some YouTube videos of Jinx just to kind of. It was just a very weird one man search, and again you saw. Okay, Texas Tech has the best offense. Who can we get from that staff? Cultural fit, be damned, and uh, and there we were. You'd think, you know, maybe if he was lazy like that, he'd say, hey, yeah, we just got Dino Vegas. He was the best offensive coach in FCS. Right. Then at least you get a head coach. Right. <laughs> yeah, and Leffler is the exact opposite. I believe – I think Athlon ranked him – they ranked the, the 27 – new hires and they ranked him as the last guy which which is fair enough if you're just analyzing his work as an offensive coordinator he hasn't had a ton of success at least when you look at the statistics that like we were talking about boston college auburn and virginia tech but they're not really hiring him to be an offensive innovator they're hiring him because he's worked for frank beamer and, and urban meyer and steve adazio and lloyd carr and he's got a a million connections and he's from Ohio and he's got a good personality and he's, you know, they're hiring him to build a program. And he's, he's pretty, the interesting thing is he's kind of got a reunion of, of Lloyd Carr staff there from the mid two thousands. They have a ton of experience. I believe they have it's more than actually a lot of FBS schools. I think it's more than a hundred years of power five or NFL coaching experience on their staff, which is uh and part of that does include uh, Brian Van Gorder, the defensive coordinator, which which obviously um, Twitter had some fun with when he got there. But but even a guy like Brian Van Gorder, I mean, he's a he's a guy that that lends stability to an operation. I mean, these guys have done it before. I, I don't know. There's just an air of competence is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, you bring up the the staff there. You know, looking across the staff, and like I said, there's a lot of names there I recognize. Of course. That, you know, Wayne Gorder stood out to me like, holy crap, he's got Brian Wayne Gorder. I mean, guys <laughs> everywhere. And, yeah. You know, big schools, not just, you know, being D coordinator, you know, like Auburn, right. Notre Dame. And, and he was like, holy cow. Yeah. I mean, this guy's been everywhere. And he was kind of an interesting case because he was a, I mean, 15 years ago, he was a rising star on the fast track to, you know, being a big time head coach. He was the, I think the Frank Boyles Award winner, assistant coach of the year, as a defensive coordinator under Mark Richt at Georgia, and uh, then he, I believe he was the the head coach at, at Georgia State, which which didn't work out. And I don't know, he's he's certainly, uh, you know, his reputation has certainly taken a huge hit these last ten years, whether it was at uh, Auburn or Notre Dame or or Louisville last year. Obviously, that defense was a nightmare. And I, I don't know, it kind of feels like you know Brian Van Gorder the the combination of you know the sketchy defenses and that that kind of that seventies hair. He's kind of a Twitter celebrity for the for the wrong reasons. But yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy and, and the offensive coordinator, former OC at Michigan. So I don't know what the yeah I don't know. I, I, again, I mean they're not hiring these guys to be offensive innovators or, or cutting edge. It's just they're very solid college football coaches and perfect for this situation. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting to me. I mean, you mentioned Darius Wade, but also I guess one of their backup running backs, Devon Jones, was another guy that followed Leffler from Boston College. So apparently the players, at least some of the guys like him. That's That seems to be a good sign. Yeah, for sure. 
So, I mean, given all that, you know, even though we, we talked about how bad Morgan State is, how much do you think that the team and even the fan base got some confidence and some optimism from that opening win? Oh, I think it's – I don't know if it it completely changed expectations. I think the general sentiment among Bowling Green fans is probably, you know, three wins, four wins at best if things go right. I think we'll have a pretty pretty realistic view of, of what um, – you know, what kind of talent is in the program right now. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, it's best case scenario for this program is they go to a bowl game in, in three years and possibly contending for a MAC title in four years. And, and we're, you know, we're always want to fast forward these things, but this truly is kind of digging out from the bottom. So, yeah, I think they're, I think they're excited. People like Scott Leffler. He's great in the community. Again, he's kind of lent that air of competence to the program again that was missing. But I also think people are realistic and, you know, just hope hope to keep it competitive for as, for as long as possible Saturday, but nothing, uh, not expecting anything crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I this is not the team that, that they had in mind when they scheduled at games at Kansas State and at Notre Dame for this season. No, no. And that would be, yeah, because that's interesting. I mean, you know, Kansas State's obviously been a – a very good program, you know, on and off for a while. But, you know, if, if BG had had the team they had under under Babers at the end there, that's probably a game, obviously Kansas State would be favored, but that's a game fans would really be excited for, you know, kind of a, a mid-tier Power 5 team. See what you got. You know, David, I, I think it's kind of funny the way you're describing, you know, Bowling Green and the fan base and, very similar in many ways to how Kansas State fans are feeling right now about our new hire and in the direction, you know, like, you know, it was great to come out with that big win, but, you know, can we sustain it? What is it going to look like? And, you know, like for Bowling Green, they're looking at the K-State game like, okay, well, you know, we're probably going to lose, but let's see how we do. You know, K-State fans are looking at, you know, next week for us against Mississippi State, and mm-hmm. you know, sure. I've, kind of forgotten about this game like oh Bowling Green will beat the snot out of them let's worry about <laughs> Mississippi State but it's that same thing like well you know if we can at least be competitive it should be a good year we might you know we'll make a bowl and uh, right. you talk about the scholarship numbers they're very similar situation with scholarship numbers here at K-State I mean we we've, we've got the full allotment but it's real heavy in the senior class and the freshman class and the the middle two classes are really low in numbers, and it's so the staff here was not recruiting well the, these last couple of years, and it's you know so it's a different level of football, and the the talent like the top end talent level at K State's a lot higher. Sure, but in many ways, two programs are, are fairly similar at least over the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just out of curiosity. So I know there was a lot of excitement around the hire. Is does he intend to kind of go the JUCO route in the same way that Bill Snyder did over the years? Is that kind of the, the plan? I don't think so. There were just you brought in a lot of grad guys this year for sure. But okay. I, and one of the guys, one of his assistants, he brought in is a JUCO guy. I think they'll mine it for specific guys. You know, like we need to fill this specific hole, but not. The way sure. there were times that, that Snyder did, but really even Snyder these last, I don't know, five or six years, there's we're talking about like three or four JUCO guys. It's not, you know, people think Snyder and JUCO are out, but that was really like late 90s, early 2000s when he really sure, hit sure. that and then started that trend of 
top programs digging into that talent pool. And so now you can't just load up on Juco guys like he was able to at the time because now everybody wants those top guys. Yeah. No, for sure, for sure. But we're going to take a real quick break for our sponsors. Okay, and so let's, JT, we can go back to, to Kansas State on Saturday a little bit. I mean, I don't know, a lot of things impressive about that performance. Uh, again, grain of salt, Nicole State, all that. But, you know, I, I really like the offensive efficiency on third down was pretty nice. Just all the different running backs. Um, I don't know, what impressed you most about the offense? Yeah, exactly. It was It was efficient, and I think in many ways we didn't expect that. So... You know, obviously, new staff, new coordinators. Like you expect, you know, there's be some some issues. And first game of the year, like there's always some rust, and you know, guys just like you know, first game jitters, figuring things out. But it didn't look like that. There was one, like real early. There was a timeout. I think it was the first drive where they had ten men in the huddle. Like the substitution didn't go right. They called timeout immediately. It wasn't like they were confused. The staff like immediately recognized it. Called timeout. No big deal. Came back out, of course, went down and scored a touchdown. And but it was it was things like that 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 in fact they're calling them hockey line style rotations or mm-hmm. with guys with getting tight ends and running backs and rotating guys through. And with all of that, you couldn't tell really, you know, who was on the field and who wasn't. Like I mean, they went through two or three running backs on the first drive and like, okay, who's in the game? I don't know. It looks the exact same, whether it's James Gilbert, who, you know, people in Ohio recognize or Jordan Brown from North Carolina or Harry Trotter. You know, it it didn't matter who was there. It was just one after another and they were just beating the snot out of you. Yeah. And that's something I've said several times now, like, you know, we talk about, you know, Snyder would always come out with that Venona offense in game one. And while, yes, it was simple and you know, maybe basic, but there was nothing vanilla about the offense. They didn't do anything crazy. There were no trick plays. They didn't have, like, weird, crazy formations. They didn't do a bunch of shifts and, and pre-snap movements. But there were a lot of looks. There was a lot of packages. But it was all clean and efficient, and it just – it worked. It was just it was just fun football to watch. It just worked and it was great. Yeah. And then what do you think about Chris Kleiman said this week that Josh Youngblood and Jack Sedin are, are gonna be two freshmen that play you know, all season. That's something you know, coming out of camp, I think, you know, most people had suspected, which, you know, again, it's keep bringing it up because it's crazy to me but you know we get to see practice and so now we know you know we had these actual reports from practice and <laughs> and but with young blood and and Deneen running with the ones and of course there's been some some injuries in the in the fullback tight end group and and that helps Deneen out but yeah they were out early Deneen caught a pass real early on and it's great that there's some some young talent there that's stepped up and the the coaching staff isn't afraid to use those guys. I think, you know, especially in the second half, you know, Snyder 2.0, he was maybe afraid to use freshmen or just unwilling. You know, he's trying to do be you know play all the advantages and older players and stuff. And he wants the guys that can run every single play as you know perfectly as possible, even if that isn't you know even if the talent isn't there. And now. These guys aren't afraid, like, yeah, he, he's a freshman. He might make a mistake, but we need that talent on the field. And I, it's it's refreshing. Yeah. 
And, and Dave, with Bowling Green, I mean, obviously their coaches have a lot more time than the climbing staff to recruit their first class. I think. Well, what, when, when was that hire made exactly? Because I know just I just know that the old staff got hired mid fired mid season, but when did Leffler come in? Well, he yeah they they kept <laughs> another interesting name from the past. Well, Carl Polini took over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For Mike Jinks, uh, halfway through the year, and he stayed on, and actually he was gonna actually stayed on with the Guy Leffler staff, and was gonna be a co-defensive coordinator with Brian Van Gorder. Apparently, Carl Bellini was was not as down with that as he initially said, because he then left a few months in to go coach for his brother Bo at Youngstown State. They kind of said he was gonna. I think they had kind of pitched it as like he was. He was going back and was kind of, they already had a succession plan in place and he was going to take over, but it just sounded like he, you know, he wanted to run his own defense. But um, anyway, yeah. It's kind of, so they didn't hire Leffler until I guess it would have been, I think it would have probably been early December. So, oh, you know, he had a, so yeah, so only a couple of weeks before that first signing day. And then, uh, yeah, so pretty similar to, to when a lot of the other coaches were hired. Yeah. But he, uh, he he did a pretty decent job in in solidifying that that first class and uh, you know it, it wasn't ranked very high but they did get some guys they wanted and uh, yeah. he's done a great job going forward with the 2020 class. Yeah, I mean, do they have some guys? I I don't know. You know, I don't know how deep we can go if you can name names, but they have some guys that you know could be all league type players by their junior and senior seasons. They're hoping hoping for. Or... Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I guess I wouldn't know from the freshman class. They certainly do have guys yeah. they're high on in, in 2020, including a you know a local quarterback from from here in Toledo, Riley Keller. Uh, not that that the name would mean anything, but um, he's a uh, he initially uh, you know he was getting some big time looks from Ole Miss and, and some some bigger schools in the SEC and beyond. And so that was a big get for Leffler, and he's kind of their quarterback of the future, but. The thing he's really done, and people at Bowling Green are impressed by, kind of reestablishing, you know, just recruiting Ohio. It was it was kind of weird. I think in Mike Jinks' last class, they only had six recruits from Ohio, which was which was obviously crazy because Ohio, I think, you know, every year even it's gone down a little bit as you know the as the population shifts to the south. But you know, every year they're still producing the fifth most uh, FBS players, FBS recruits a year. And to have that was pretty crazy. So Leffler's kind of come in and, you know, reestablished those connections with high school coaches and kind of reestablished Ohio as, uh, as where they should be. So, Well, yeah, I'm interested to see, you know, how K-State's defense does and maybe, uh, you know, in pressuring Darius Wade and getting up on the receivers. So JT, I mean, on Saturday, obviously uh, it was a lot easier than it will be against the Big 12 quarterbacks and receivers, but – you know, how much of a difference did you see as far as jamming guys, you know, being more aggressive with defensive backs like they talked about? You know, I think it caused, especially early in the game, before Nichols started to make some adjustments, you know, it was you know, it was clear that they weren't, you know, there was no film of it, obviously, and so they didn't know what to expect. And there were still times, especially midway through the game, at early second half, that you could see that, that Bill Snyder conditioning kind of take over and they'd start to back up a little bit, and they'd be five, six yards off the line instead of three or four. You know, I don't think we're going to see a full, you know, jam-heavy defensive alignment where these guys are right up on the line every time because that's that's a little crazy too. But 
it's definitely going to cause guys, especially guys that aren't maybe as accurate, like Luke, you mentioned that Wade maybe had some accuracy issues. Mm-hmm. It's going to cause guys like that to, to struggle a bit more against this uh, this team because they won't have that ten yard cushion anymore. There won't be that bubble where you know even if they're a little off. And so when we saw that early, I mean the Nichols first drive where he was just a little off on the pass and you know ended up as an interception for K State. And those are the kind of things that that I think we'll see more out of this this secondary this year than we've seen in the past few. Yeah. So, Dave, we won't ask you to make a prediction for this game because I think we all have a pretty good idea of how it's going to go. But, you know, what's best-case scenario for, for Bowling Green, Mr. Manhattan? Um, yeah, I, I don't, it's hard to say just because I, I guess I don't, I don't have a, a great read on Kansas State's roster at the moment either. I, I'm, I will say I was a little surprised the line was only – I, I shouldn't say only, but it, is it about 23 and a half? I, yeah, saw? I, think that's yeah. Right. I think that's right. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that, given where Bowling Green's roster is. So, I, I, And I know, obviously, the, the Kansas State has, has a ways to go under um, under climate as well. But, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, I mean, maybe the just the, you know, the energy and the just kind of the, I don't know, the underdog edge coming in, if they can – they can maybe just hold their own on the line for a, a few drives and, you know, keep it close going into halftime. And then before maybe they, they wear down just because of how limited their numbers are. And, you know, I'm sure Kansas, I, I mean, I know Kansas state is bigger and deeper and, and just has uh you know, a lot more to throw at them, but you know, I best case scenario probably would be, yeah, kind of how Bowling Green played Maryland last year. It was close at halftime and, and then Maryland just kind of ran them over, wore them down. But, yeah, I guess I don't see this being close, even from the start, but I guess you never know. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine, JT, maybe you have some thoughts on this as well, but it'll be pretty tough to totally match the energy of the season opener, just because that was Clemens' first game, and they had the, the new music and everything for the first time. But, you know, hopefully they can at least get, get close to that again. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be real difficult, and I think that's part of the reason why maybe the line's a little lower than it you would expect for a game like this. It's just because you know how do you? It's gonna be really hard to sustain that energy. Not only is it an early kickoff, but it's you know that you had all that the hype surrounding the first game, and immediately go into a team that's been bad the last few years, and you expect to roll over and. Like, well, you know, they may not be fully in it. And and so to me, that it'll actually be a good test for the coaching staff, maybe more than the players, on whether or not they can get these guys fired up for Bowling Green and not looking ahead to Mississippi State and, you know, continue to, to do that, you know, quote, win the dang day and and uh, I mean, just take it one game at a time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because because this could be, you know, it could easily be a trap game, and you know, maybe maybe they don't lose it, but maybe it looks a lot worse, and then they feel bad about themselves and and don't play well against Mississippi State. Yeah, I will say it was good to see uh, today. You know, we've mentioned on this podcast before that it was a little weird that with the the pound of stone they had pickaxes. We we're wondering how are you going to pound stone with pickaxes? Today they actually came out with some, some sledgehammers, so. It's nice to see that adjustment by the coaching staff. Yeah, apparently that's that's the uh, the thing with the captains now. They get to give out 
sledgehammers for performance during the game. So, uh, you know, you got turnover chains and trash cans and whatever else. And K-State's got like little sledgehammers. So that's, that's <laughs> yeah. I guess, our thing now. So, Dave, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but we're talking about weird lines. Do you think there's any way Mizzou can cover a 14-point spread against West Virginia? <laughs> Where's that game at? Uh, I think it's at Mizzou. Yeah, because they wouldn't play two road games in a row. It, it's at Missouri. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess. I mean, I, I know West Virginia is not. They struggled Saturday, for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, that's not a – so it's uh, – so Mizzou's favored by 14? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I mean I guess it's it's hard to it's hard to I guess well you I'm sure I'm sure you watched it, Luke. What yeah. what went so wrong for Mizzou? I mean honestly, like I was telling JT this a little bit earlier, it was Mizzou wasn't terrible most of the game. They were pretty good. Kelly Bryant threw for four hundred and twenty three yards. Right, right. They had two really bad fumbles. Kelly Bryant had a really, really stupid throw in the red zone that got picked off. They gave up two running touchdowns of like 70 plus yards, including one to a quarterback who wasn't that fast. I, I just don't <laughs> know where the safeties were. So, but, and, you know, I always hate it when coaches say, like, you take away these three plays and we would have been in the game. But at the same time, like, I can see a little bit where some of the analytics were even saying, like, hey, Mizzou didn't do so badly. Right. So, Sometimes those games can be a little hard just kind of going into those. You yeah. know, where that's their Super Bowl in a smaller stadium and kind of, uh, you know, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a, like it's 7,000 feet up. So that's an interesting game. I'm just, I'm just really curious about Missouri's motivation, especially in a, when they're banned from a bowl, how, you know, how they respond from a, you know, a tough early setback. And if, if Odom can kind of keep that team together, because obviously they have a, you know, a decent amount of talent. I mean, most people think this is a fringe top 25 team. I'm just curious how, how they kind of do the, uh, you know, how they kind of keep the mental, the mental game together. You know, covering Ohio State in 2012 with with Urban Meyer, you know, that was his biggest concern, not being eligible for a bowl. How do you keep it together? And and their biggest thing was just, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the pursuit of a perfect season. I don't, and uh, and they they got that, but yeah. So I'm just I'm real interested to see how Odom can can do this. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um... Uh-huh. You know, hopefully we, we see a good game from, from Missouri Yankees sure. on Saturday. <laughs> so, Dave, but before I let you go, though, I, I got to ask, um, I know it's been a little while, but Bowling Green produced probably my favorite sports athletic video ever. <laughs> the the Stros kind of rap, if you haven't seen it, go check it out on YouTube. I, I don't know. Can you give us any insider info on that? Like where, where those people are now or anything? I no, I don't think I was here when that was produced. That was when the, the Stroh Center first opened. It was probably bef- well, a little before I got here in 2012. But yeah, but yeah the, the Stroh Center rap is from a, some, you know, from some of their, uh, a lot of their, you know, their older donors and, and benefactors kind of wearing, I think they're wearing the basketball uniforms and, and kind of, kind of singing with them and dancing and dribbling and I remember seeing it at the time because I know it got some national play just because of it was it was really well done and, and kind of yeah. that that I mean, genre the for, incredible the rapper I, I looked it up is that Mikey Roscoe Blair he was legit he tried I guess his rap career didn't quite pan out but seemed like okay. he was a really smart dude he got some pretty good uh I can't remember he, he's he's in some career where he's making a lot more money than we are as journalists I'll tell you that yeah. 
No, uh, it's great. It was great marketing. It's kind of in the yeah. It's not. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's in the so bad it's good genre. I mean, it was just no, kind no, of. It wasn't like. I mean, because they're no. yeah, because they're. I mean, it's kind of you know they're in on they're in on the fun. I mean, they know the yeah. No, it was a it was really well done. It was it yeah. was you know clever all around. <laughs> it wasn't like that Mizzou video that that we. Oh God, that. that's right. JT, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what we're talking about? Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen the, the Bowling Green video, and of course I laugh considerably hard at the Missouri video. Um, <laughs> yeah. Didn't uh, didn't Kansas fans like make a video mocking the Mizzou video? Probably. I feel I, I don't I don't remember, but <laughs> I'm trying to think what the Mizzou video was, but I know I've gotten it was just out of it many times. Rapping about basketball. Was <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, but anyway, I I think that's about it. Kind of well, thing appreciate else. it, guys. Yeah. I don't have anything else. It's All right. Fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Dave. And uh, people can check out your work in uh, Toledo Blade. Uh, and what's your Twitter? If you want to follow uh, you? D Briggs Blade. All right. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, I'll be uh, heading up Tan Arbor for, for Michigan Army. Well, uh, that's another weird line. Michigan favored by 23, but Army just kind of swallows the ball for 45 minutes. I don't know if Michigan's going to be able to score enough to cover that, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised you're not going to Ohio State Cincinnati, though. So that'll be a pretty good I know. One. I know. I know. Kind of debating it. Still up in the air, but I guess yeah. leaning towards. But cool. Well, no, it should be a fun game Saturday. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thanks, David. That was great, guys. Take care. Luke Thompson, sign off.